I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. Everyone wants to implement DEI initiatives, but how do you do it? How exactly do you operationalize DEI? That is the question of the day. And here with me today is Pam McElvain. She's the CEO of Diversity MBA, and she helps uh, organizations of all sizes in all industries to do exactly that. Pam, welcome to the show. So happy to be here, and thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely, because I am excited to hear you know, how it is that you're able to work with other organizations in this regard. So let's kind of just start from the top, Pam, and talk to our listeners about what is the mission of Diversity MBA? Oh, thank you for that question. So actually, the, the company is PL Group Holding Company. And with that, we have three competencies. One is diversity via media, custom publishing, and branding for uh, employees of choice for diverse organizations looking to source their, um, their diversity workforce. And then we have diversity learning solutions, you know, learning education, and then our DMBA benchmarking. So we actually have a benchmarking research arm. That's what, that's what helps us stay in cutting edge. So with that, our mission is to, um, of course, everyone says world-class, but I'll say one of the, one of the world-class leaders that provide insights real-time best practice and leading practices that to the marketplace where they will be able to enhance their workplace, workforce, marketplace, and community um, for a better world to live in. And so let, let's double click, if you will, on enhance. Uh, what exactly do you mean by enhancing? We're talking about enhancing your, your talent. We're talking about enhancing your practices and procedures. So uh-huh. we, we believe and feel because our, verse, our research is the uh, is the intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and talent management strategies. So we're, we, we, and that's a good question to, to, to double click on enhance, is, you know, it, the more informed you are, the more knowledge you have about what you're doing in any particular initiative or and or activity in the DEI space, um, we want to be able to provide you with those tools and that information uh, as well as coaching, you know, learning platforms and what have you, so that you can be better at it or and, and facilitate conversations, networks and relationships and exposure to others. So however we can increase your awareness, uh, deepen your understanding and provide more information uh, to you. Now, for those listeners who have been uh, listening to the show for quite some time, they've often heard me talk about uh, DEI not as some kind of a um, that this panacea you're trying to reach, but it is an ongoing journey. Uh, where is it on the DEI journey that is, is your preference as to when companies will reach out to you to say, you know what, Pam, we really need to engage you to have you come in uh, to work your magic with our organization. Is it right there at the beginning, i.e. we do not have a DNI strategy whatsoever, you know, we're just kind of winging it, or is it, we're, we've tried some things already and we're trying to find out how we can do them a bit more strategically? Ask, thank you for that question. Yeah. So luckily, you know, we, we are engaged across the platform because we have folks benchmarking um, just either to see if they're best in class or to actually see where they are on the journey. So mm-hmm. we folks are foundationally, we call it, you know, we have five uh, phases that we have created um, critical success factors under. So when we think of foundational where companies are just saying, okay, what do we need to do, George Boyd? We, we need to do something. Right. So they're foundational, and then they start some things and they're developing. Well, okay, we're going to have somebody lead it. <laughs> we're not sure what it is, but we're going to have somebody lead DNI. And then when they're competitive, and that's typically, um, we get a lot of organizations more there 
And that competitive stage is where they have some pretty good foundation and framework, but they want to go deeper themselves. And we even get those that are superior and truly best in class. And, and those companies are mature in their journeys, but they're looking for um, they're very specific in what they're looking for us. So we have those that are looking for the full strategy and enchilada to those that are looking to enhance, you know, again, or to increase um, and to penetrate where they are, as well as those for them to say, where are we best in class? What else do we need to do? So they have us going pretty deep because they're so mature and we have to understand uh, where their gaps are in their organization. Yeah, and, and I love that because it's essentially a, a bespoke strategy, you know, depending upon the company, depending upon it, it sounds like the company's size depends upon where you are in your journey. And it also depends upon your bandwidth, because to your point, who is going to own this? Because this is an ongoing part of the operations in the organization. Um, so I think it stands for at this time for us to start to kind of chip away at that so you can give us some of the uh, some of the tips um, uh, that you have. And so let's talk about the the talent sourcing, acquisition, and, and promotions piece. Um, what is your best advice for organizations who say, listen, we absolutely do want to increase our diversity. Just looking at the quantitative side of the house, right? We want to increase our diversity. I always have to try to level set folks when they want to do that. Do you understand what you have and where you are? And, and what is your understanding of the, and what, where you are is, where are you geographically and do you understand the population? Mm -hmm. Although we gauge the U.S. Census as our baseline and then we mine the data from there, the U.S. Census every three years does, and I'm doing a little bit back end here for a quick education moment uh -huh. here. It does, uh, it does update itself. So the last data um, update, it showed for the first time in history that uh, white Americans have declined by 8%, 8.6% of the population. And Hispanics increased 23%. Uh, the multiracial box, 33.1 million of our population. So 9.7% of the population has checked that they're multiracial. People are now being saying, I wanna be more inclusive, bold about who I am. The corporations on the flip side don't track and gather all that data, they're, they're still going using, um, there's the race and then they're still using the basic EEO1C uh, category. Some of those things are outdated, their HI systems, their H their human resource systems that gather data are outdated. So it's, so it's you know, you say, I wanna do this and you have to level set where you are in your organization. So you can say, how effective can I, am I going to be so I can understand what needs to happen. And then you need to know, yes, we're in a new normal, but you need to know where I sit. I sit in Iowa, you know, and I'm trying to recruit, you know, 20% Hispanics and African-Americans, but there's only 5% Hispanics and African-Americans in your population. And, you know, so how, how creative and realistic can we be? And, and what, and today's, now what's happened, unfortunately, with the pandemic, we hate to think about that because we lost so many, but what's, what did happen, tools that we've always had, never used effectively, we now are people, because people are saying, guess what? I found that I could be productive at home. I found that I could do work solely differently, save some money, by the way. Um, so remote is a real option. And if it's not on your bandwidth to provide that at an executive level role, all the way down outside of certain functions, right, then um, I, I, it's not an option for me. So being informed, understanding your baseline is critical. So we go in and we do that. And when you say from a quantitative standpoint, okay, here's the real and dirty. The reality is it ain't going to get that. It just ain't gonna happen. 
So now that we know that, let's be realistic about what we really want to do. And so I am throwing inclusion and belonging in there. Create some psychological safety so those that you have, so you don't burn what you have. So you keep the retention that you have. People feel good. But in the flip side, be intentional. So we want to, you know, we never partnered with HBCUs, HSIs, Asian Focus. We never partnered. Let, let's go Let's go out our comfort zone and let's go establish some local relationships or some relationships that aren't in our backyard because we don't see these folks. Let's go to some of the campuses that uh, may have 10% of good diverse talent that we don't talk to. So let's revamp our campus strategy. Let's partner with some real organizations locally that's going to help us identify the talent we want and establish real goals and educate our managers in the process. Create infrastructure and relationships and you know alignment and goals because this is all that has to happen before you even decide what my, that you're going to quantify and create a goal. Oh, we want to go get 10% in 10 years and in the next three or four years hires. But if you don't do all this, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And, and, so and it's, it's also, it, it's not that outside of the norm for what you do with any other department. I mean, you know, if you want to open up a new office, you know, then you're going to go and you're going to scout the area and we're going to go and we're going to look at how much it's going to cost. We're going to go, who are our people who are going to lead this initiative, et cetera. And so essentially what you're saying is take all of those things that you would do if you wanted to increase your revenue, if you wanted to increase your presence in a particular footprint and do it over here. This isn't anything new. Uh, this is something that's already, you can apply tried and true practices and procedures to get these great results. You're absolutely right. And that's why when you look at, I love that. And when you look at business services and they're looking at product and services and they're talking, oh, we're going to increase by five or 7%. They're realistic in the numbers that they want to increase and higher. And you have to also, you know, you have to look at the, the analysis. You're saying, I want to be employer of choice. And so is everybody else. And so the branding strategies for um, multi-tier, multi-level practices that you have to connect with to go reach all of the different audiences. And then I'm just going to be real with you. Um, 89% of our recruiters across um, the marketplace are white Americans. Within that, 72% of them are women. And then, so now when you're talking about, and 69% are white women. So when you talk about the lens who's doing the recruiting, you have to now, to go hit those numbers, you have to make sure you have a diverse and broad lens of who's going to actually do the hiring and bring forward the candidates uh, for a true unbiased selection process. Well, and that that's key. And, you know, that will absolutely, if you implement all of this, right, we mitigate that bias. We've got the uh, very diverse team of individuals who's conducting the interviews. Hopefully we have some standardized interview questions, you know, all of the things. So you've helped us out with that part of the journey. So now we get the talent in the door. Uh, but because we are just starting, because this is new to us for ABC Corporation, We may not have reflections of those individuals in senior management in the organization, Uh, but we do want to make sure that we let people know this is the long game, right? We want you to stay and we want want to retain and develop this talent so that we can eventually promote. What are some of the best practices for being able to actually retain some of that underrepresented talent when you do not have, again, reflections of them in senior management? Because if they see it, they can believe it. But when they don't see it, what do we do? Yeah, that's a great question. And so that's where transparency is important. And I, and I put it on the candidate too. 
So understanding, you know, what the organizational commitment is around, you know, diversifying uh, the workforce and their commitment to advancement. So, um, and I know that's talking to the candidate. So I, I would say train the recruiters to ensure that they bring forward some of the tough questions in the conversation about, you know, within their onboardings an opportunity to do it there or your final candidates. And, you know, while, you know, we may not show the diverse levels of leadership in our organizations today, we are committed to um, achieve these numbers. You know, we're committed to advancing women. We're committed to um, advancing these groups within the different functions in the organizations. So providing, you know, being realistic about early coaching, having that available, first 90 days of employment, having early, are they other kind of buddy systems or your overall mentoring program that's available to ensure some intercultural connections that occur uh, very early because in the first two years if people leave, so churn is not about um, processes and practices, churn is about people and culture. Oh, yes, so it is. <laughs> making sure, right, that, that the folks feel where they are and having sessions, you know, making sure the managers that are actually hiring, you do have them in, um, they are, they have gone through bias training and they have behaviors that they're working through that they're not hiring for fit, but for adaptability. Make sure that particularly your people of color, you know, do some, you know, folks are now aligning people with community organizations. So particularly if they're in an area, a geography, if they physically have to move, ensuring that they um, have some community connections if they don't have them on their own. That's part of the onboarding. And then being setting realistic expectations around performance and advancement, making sure folks under, clearly understand I mean, you have your expectations and they have theirs. And so yes. often they, they're not aligned. And I'm like, I don't understand why you think you can hire somebody, bring them on and be done. You have to help them understand all of the opportunities. So particularly large organizations, they have so many resources for your own development that you have um, access to that are not shared until much later. I say bring all that on the front end. Help people create accountability and responsibility on the front end. And, and train your managers to be able to be aware of, of how to uh, leverage these tools. And that way people feel that they can navigate their careers because the part of uh, retaining the talent is that they see themselves in the next three or five years in a certain role in the organization, regardless of who they look like. And then I just do feel, you know, I know in onboarding at certain senior levels, you, you're transparent around your numbers, but I do feel, um, you know, you should have, the real cultural conversation with particularly people of color where uh, folks don't want to have that conversation. They're afraid to have it. It's okay to talk about what some of the obstacles and barriers are. Just help them understand what they need to do. So companies are creating management toolkits um, for onboarding and bringing on new folks. They're having coffees. They're doing mentoring moments. Reverse mentoring moments are huge where um, maybe a white ally leader is now mentoring um, you know, a person of color in terms of, oh, you know, just want to get to know you. Then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I didn't really understand that about your culture. It's a lot of cultural dexterity going on when you're doing within those. So look at your toolkit and leverage it in your organization. Some companies are creating, they do have the uh, non-compensation monthly recognition platforms um, that are out there for engagement. 
ERGs are huge. Employee resource groups. Yes. If you have them or network, encourage your new hires to literally go in and not maybe necessarily volunteer, but at least be a part of a community immediately. So I know I'm just going on, but there's so many things. No, but I love the, I love that because, you know, there are people who will say, listen, I I want to do this, but I have no idea where to start. Uh, Or I'm not a fortune 100 company, you know, and so with our size, you know, we can't do that. And And it's a host of excuses, but I feel like what you just said is, you know, you just gave an entire menu of things that you can kind of choose from. Uh, to find out what works best for your organization. Uh, I know that we cannot have this conversation though without talking about those allies. And you mentioned allies and, and leveraging allies when you were uh, kind of going on through a number of different ways that organizations can kind of implement some strategy. Uh, my, my data here is that almost 90% of the CEOs of the Fortune 500 are white men. So what that means to me, as I hear that statistic, there is no way we're going to be able to advance DNI, move this proverbial needle without the help, without the buy-in, without the participation of straight white men. So talk to us about the role that these individuals can play in helping to advance DNI in their workplaces. So that's a great question. And if you talk to some of the, uh, some of the latest, greatest, Harvard MIT professors, uh, oh, Dartmouth, she beat me up, Dartmouth. (laughs) (laughs) Used to go, did do high. You know, they they talk about the, um, some of the challenge with allyship. So let's let's just go back to the human experience. Most white Americans um, understand really true diversity and cultural um, integration and differences when they have some level of experience. And they're able to connect empathetically yes be it indirectly with their children regardless is when they have that experience regardless of their level all of a sudden now you have this connection to want to help ceos senior leaders are the same way and those that are that you know accelerate and take charge they have a fundamental foundational belief that this is what the work i need to do this is what i want my organization to be when you go back and you think of the GEs um, and the Chrysler's of old, you know, what these leaders did, and they fundamentally believe this is what we have to do. So, um, so that that's just that. But so those CEOs. So when you get white females and you get people of color that are CEOs, and you see the acceleration of this, is because they lean into the experience and they do it. So when you talked about ninety percent of them, they're going to say okay, and then you have another maybe fifteen percent of those that are going to lean into it, of the white males that are going to lean into it because that's just fundamentally what they believe. So in the organizations where you have predominantly white male, white men and women in leadership roles, where the pipeline for management talent is less than 26%, and that includes all people of color. So the biggest group are white women. So your allies need to be both white men and white women. Good point. And, and not just allies, it's really champions of being able to move the agenda together. So allyship is a term that has been coined. I, I basically you know, put it out there because that's, that's the term that's in coin, but it's so much more than that because allyship, people can choose and decide when they're comfortable and they'll be, be your ally and not necessarily when it's necessary. So what you want are leaders that, you know, the, the, the white 
American, the white women and men that are globally, you can look at them, that are leaders, to, to find a place in their discomfort that they have a commitment to help. That's what you want. You want them to create a space for you to learn more so that they want to be that advocate and that champion. That's what we want. And then if it ends up being allyship, okay, that's fine. But we want them to, to get to where, you know, I'm not comfortable because I don't see the value and I need to understand better what, what this is gonna do to make this is about us a better organization, me a better person. And um, uh, if I have to be convinced or it is the right thing and I wanna do more of it. So it has to, so, and, and so if you have white men that say, well, what's in it for me, then we have to help them understand what's in it for them. The shrinking in the population for sure, they're not shrinking in the leadership roles, they clearly aren't. But, we, but organizations are getting better now saying, well, what is your concern? Let's help understand what your access and privilege looks like and what the gaps are for the others that don't have this inherent access and privilege. It means very different things. And, and, and then when they find that we're not demeaning their worth and, and them being excluded, but they understand, oh, we just are really trying to, we wanna say level the playing field, but they wanna say create some equity yes. within the advancement process. And so it is a lot of education. It is a lot of transparency and learning. And then where you find your white men that get it, they have to become the, the advocates and the bigger voices. I, I now tell white women, you know, and I've had conversations with the EVPs and they're like, really, Pam? And I was doing all this work for the women. I said, I know. Now you got to do it for everybody because you're the fastest group that's being advanced and you're the largest group that have the seat at the table. So you have to represent all of us. You got to bring your brother along and help him understand so it can be expanded and he can allow someone else to, you know, to also be at the seat of the table. Folks are talking about inclusion and belonging. And I'm like, really? That's core values and principle beliefs. However you want to define it, whatever you want to call it, it's okay. But the foundation of inclusion and belonging is psychological safety, trust, and, and, and that's always been there. Core value. That's what, you know, we're just calling it something different but people are just calling it out more. And, and so that, to me, that's, the, that's what we have to get to. And then if you get to the if, the, if they're willing to show you that human side and that vulnerability, then we have to embrace that and then help and engage and learn and become champions together. Because um, otherwise it's not gonna happen. It, it's, we're gonna continue to have those that come through the organizations in corporate America and large organizations and then lead. And, and continuing to stay on this vicious cycle. Yeah, so, and this isn't this isn't an area where organizations have the opportunity to to have their DNI efforts be you know ephemeral, uh, you know, and it, and it lasts during the pendency of you know COVID nineteen, or it lasts during the the social justice and racial reckoning you know time period, and then it's gone, you know, or you you see this uptick and it's like oh yeah, but we promoted two or three people, so we're done. Uh, not so much. What I love about all of the uh, recommendations and the advice that you've been giving, these are all sustainable. Uh, these are all measures that can be taken that are longstanding uh, and that will yield you those results. Uh, what I'm taking from this is that you have to be a bit uncomfortable before you can get comfortable, before everyone can be comfortable. And once you've got people comfortable, that's where you're gonna get that inclusion and that belonging. Pam, thank you so much for joining the show. I have absolutely enjoyed talking with you and perhaps we'll have to have you back because there's so much more to unpack here. 
Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And feel free to, to reach out to us at diversityandbeamagazine.com. Perfect. 